Hey, you're listening to a sermon from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about our church, you can visit ktnnaz.org, visit us on Facebook, just search Ketchikan Naz, or you can download our free app from the iPhone store or the Google Play store. Just search Ketchikan Naz. Thanks well, welcome to all of you who are uh, celebrating Christmas with us this season. Uh, this is our second week in the series Big Christmas, where we look at just absolutely how large and magnificent Christmas is, as demonstrated by um, the ultra-large Christmas tree and packages that we have on the tree. We kind of want to experience the joy that Christmas brings when you were a very small child and you came out really early on Christmas morning and everything was just big and shiny and bright and your just heart and eyes and mind were full of wonder. I want it like Gallagher that's giving me this look right there. That's the look that I want to capture on all of you. <laughs> uh, now he's looking around. Uh, so um, I want to capture that wonder again. Last week, we talked about big Christmas and the big problem associated with Christmas. Um, that if we can't wrestle with the fact that we have a big problem, what does it matter that there is a solution to the big problem, which is Jesus being born at Christmas? Why would we even celebrate Christmas and be excited about Christmas if we didn't wrestle with the fact that we have a big problem? And so last week, we talked about Adam and Eve having this huge problem, that in the garden they ate of the fruit that they shouldn't have eaten, and... Um, and, and that separated them from God. And so their big problem was the fact that they had been separated from God by their sin. And then God removed them from the garden. And it didn't just end there, right? We learned that Adam and Eve had a big problem. But through Adam and Eve, the world in general inherited this big problem of sin and separation from God. Because we learned we, we don't live in the garden, right? And so we are still, in some ways, recipients of the big problem that Adam and Eve struggled with. But we took it from the broad perspective of the world has a big problem, like my neighbor has a problem, my spouse has a problem, my children have a problem. And instead, we applied it to ourselves, that we individually, me, Peter, has a big problem. Everyone individually has a big problem. We all struggle with sin. And so last week we talked about this big problem that started with Adam and Eve and trickled its way down through the world until it got to us. And we have a big problem. And we left the, uh, the message last week with the idea that big problems need a huge promise. Okay, And that's what we're going to pick up this morning. Is we're going to look at the promise that God made to us to deal with this big problem. Because if we just left off last week with... Y'all have a sin problem, period, and we didn't handle it further. Boy, I'd be a bad preacher. And so we need to tackle the promise that God gave us because big problems need a big promise. Now, last week we read the story from Genesis. So if you guys want to flip in your Bibles to Genesis, it's the first book in the Bible, and it's going to be chapter 3. So just a few pages in, in the Old Testament, uh, Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. I'm going to read one short verse from this because... Tucked in the story that we read last week in Genesis 3 is the first big promise for us. Okay, it's the first huge promise. And we, I just disconnected my, took apart with one hand. There we go. Um, tucked in Genesis is the very first promise in the midst of the big problem. So I'm going to put it on the screen for you, but it's Genesis 3.15. And I think it's always good when we can get our hands and eyes on the Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, there are dark blue copies under the seat in front of you, near you, next to you. You can share with a neighbor. I'm sure someone uh, would share their Bible with you, or you can 
pull it up on version uh, on your smartphone. Lots of ways to read the Bible. Okay, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, reads this way. I will put enmity between, this is God speaking, between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Now this, in the context of the story that we read, is God is speaking to Adam, to Eve, and to the serpent, giving them each their, their punishments for their sin. And so Adam has to work the soil, right? And it's going to be hard for him to provide for his family. And Eve, there's going to be pain in childbirth, and that's going to be difficult for them for moving forward. Now the serpent is what he is talking to here, and he says, listen, serpent, I am going to constantly make strife between you and the woman. There is constantly going to be a struggle between your children and her children down through eternity. There will be struggle. But one day, Adam and Eve's child will bruise you on the head, and you will only bruise him on the heel. So in this verse is the very first promise that one day God will send the seed of Adam and Eve, a child of Adam and Eve down through time, and this seed of Adam and Eve will crush the enemy's head and in the process will only slightly be wounded on the heel. This is the very first time we see gospel good news in the scripture and it takes place in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. Um, this is the first time that we hear that God will solve the problem. Right, the big problem. But it's not the last time. Did you know that the entire Old Testament, from Genesis to Malachi, so uh, it's like two thirds of your of your Bible. Um, so let me let me see Zechariah, Malachi. Okay, um, this is Old Testament, and this is New Testament. The New Testament, actually, light little fact for you, has less words than the Sunday New York Times. Okay. So if you can read the Sunday New York Times in one sitting, then you can read the New Testament in one sitting. The Old Testament, it's substantially thicker, okay? And it has got a whole lot of promise in there. And in the Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi, it's the story of how God unfolds that promise to us. That one day he will take care of the big problem that we have. And page after page after page after page of the Old Testament, there's a lot of pages, are full of promise after promise after promise after promise. That God is reminding us that he will take care of this big problem. Now, to the best of my knowledge, okay, there are roughly 500 promises in the Old Testament. There could be more, but this is just to the best of my finite, limited knowledge and study thus far. That there are 500 promises in the Old Testament regarding Jesus... And each one of them reveals to us this immense love that God has for us, this desire that he wants to solve the problem. Now, I have a list here. Um, it's single-spaced, front and back, seven pages, okay? And it's 365 of these promises in the Old Testament, and it just it seems like it goes on and on and on. And it's a really nifty list if you want to take one promise for every day of the year and read it in the Old Testament. And then it kind of sums it up for you. And then it shows you where the promise was fulfilled in the New Testament, which is really cool because you can see then the story of Jesus from the Old Testament being fulfilled in the New Testament. I have 
10 printed copies. If anybody wants to take these home, and I'm going to put it in our church email this week. So there'll be a digital copy sent out, and there are these copies that anybody who wants one can come take one uh, at any point today. And that way they can look and see the promises God made, not all of them, but a good chunk of them, where he made them in the Old Testament, what the promise promises, and where you can find the fulfillment of that promise in the New Testament. And it's a really great way to see the connection from Old Testament to New Testament. That this is one big story that God is telling. And he starts it and he completes it. So I think that that's pretty exciting. If you want to read those, you can pick that up. Um, but today we're just going to focus on one of those promises. It's kind of overwhelming when you look at 500 promises and you're like, I don't even, 365 is a lot. How do you start? So we're just going to look at one. We're going to look at one promise, okay? And it's found in the book of Isaiah, which is in the Old Testament. So um, it's, you know, maybe two-thirds of the way, maybe a half of the way through the Old Testament. Um, it's one of the bigger books. So as you're flipping through your Bible, you find Psalms and Proverbs keep going. You get uh, some of uh, Ecclesiastes keep going. Then there's Isaiah. If you get to Jeremiah, you've gone too far. Uh, turn around and go back. Um, and I don't know what page it is on your Bible, but it's about midway through the Old Testament. Find the book of Isaiah and then find chapter 9. Okay. Now, if you want to read a lot of promises, uh, the beginning of the book of Isaiah is a really great place to start. Like It seems like the first couple chapters of Isaiah all the way through chapter 11 are like uh, Jesus promise after Jesus promise after Jesus promise left and right. We're going to take one right in the middle. It's pretty clear. Chapter 9 is talking to us about Jesus. The heading in my book is, For to us a child is born. Okay, uh, And we're going to read Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. So if you would stand when you find that in your Bibles, or your neighbor's Bible, or your smartphone Bible. And I have this entire passage underlined because it is so good. And it says this in Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 2. The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. And they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden... And the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken it like on the day of Midian. Every boot of the tramping warrior in the battle and every garment that has been rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire because to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, prince of peace and of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end and the throne of david and over the kingdom on the throne of david and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore and the zeal of the lord of hosts will do this this is the promise of god to you this morning and you may be seated Okay, now you're probably going, that's a lot to take in, Pastor. And it talked about blood. And I'm a little creeped out about how warriors and blood and yokes and I don't know who Midian is. And I don't understand how this applies to my big problem. 
No worries, we're gonna take this step by step, okay? We're gonna go verse by verse here and we're gonna look at exactly what it is that God promises you specifically to deal with your big problem, okay? So let's start at the very beginning. Let's tackle this verse right here. This is chapter nine, verse two. Put it up on the screen for you. The people, that would be us, who have walked in darkness, that would be us, the darkness of sin. Sin just kind of comes into our world and makes it unbearable, right? And the things that go on in our life make us sad and our hearts are broken, right? So we are the people who have walked in darkness, but they have seen a great light. Those who dwell, who live in the land of deep darkness, on them the light has shined, right? So what this verse is telling us is that God is promising us light, okay? Though we live in darkness, God says, on you, light will shine. Now, what does that mean, okay? Um, any of you were scared of the dark when you were a kid? Anybody want to admit to that? Okay. Any of you still a little creeped out by the dark now? Yeah, okay. It's true, I am. Yeah, creeped out by the dark. So what do you do when it's dark and scary? What do you do? You turn on a light. You get your cell phone out. You flip that flashlight open, okay, right? Because that's how we live now. I don't have a keychain flashlight anymore, but I have a cell phone, and I flip that light on. And if I can't get the flashlight app to open fast enough, I just make the screen light up, right? You all know what I'm talking about, right? Because any light is better than no light when you're in the dark, right? Especially if it's icy out, right, and there's stairs, and you're like, I know that I will fall to my death if I cannot get light. So you stop moving, and you make the light happen, and then you do this so you can see where you're going, right? So this is exactly what God is promising us. We live in a world that is darkened by sin. Our own hearts are darkened by sin. The world around us is just in turmoil by sin. We live in darkness, but God promises us light. It means that while things are going on in our world that cause us fear and break our hearts, God says, listen, I'm going to be the light that shines so that you don't have to have fear. Though you see things that are terrifying around you, I want to be the light that helps you not have fear. I want to be your flashlight. I want to be your cell phone light so that you can see where you are going. I want to give you light so that you can take confidence in that next step and know where that step is. So when you step up or down, you can step with confidence in light. Light means that we don't have to have fear because we aren't in the dark anymore. Light shows us the path to take, the safe steps that we can make. Um, light also means this. We can know God. Um, in this verse it says that they have seen a great light and on them the light has shined. Now, um, when you flip a light on, do you not see it or do you see it? Right, so you know that it's there and you know the source of that light, right? When I flip on my light in the morning, I know that it's coming from the lamp above my bed, right? When I flip, I, I do this pretty much every Sunday. I plug in these uh, lights that are green and red, you know, depending on what color they are. And I guarantee you nine times out of ten I'm looking like right at the light bulb when I turn it on. Do you guys ever do that? Like you're in a room that's dark and someone flips the light on it. It just so happens you're staring right at the light bulb when it happens. And you get the like image of light emblazoned in your, and you know that light because it is emblazoned in your brain, right? So when God's light shines on us, we know that it is his light, not another kind of light. His light is a different kind of light. And it tells us that we can know 
God. We know the source of the light that dawns on us. And that is a very good thing for us. God promises us light, that we can know him, that we can be um, walking confidently in a world that is dark. But he doesn't stop there, okay? Um, God promises light. Oh, I guess I should have put that one up there. Big, bold letters. God promises us light. Now, here's the next one. Verse 3, okay? You have multiplied the nation, right? He's made more people down through time. You have increased its joy, and they rejoice before you as with the joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Now, um, we don't live in an agricultural community much anymore, so some of this verse is a little bit lost on us, because at harvest time, back in the olden day, they would bring in all of the harvest, and that was... That was like a joyous time. There were festivals and celebrations that went on at harvest time because that was the provision for the rest of the year. The harvest would come in and they would celebrate because they had food for the year and they could sell it and make an income. And that was how they provided for themselves. And so the joy that went with harvest time was immense. And so God is saying, listen, I am going to promise you joy. Joy like the biggest joy of the year that you can think of. And for them, that was harvest time. The biggest joy of the year when you are sitting fat and happy because you have every need you could possibly need met. There is no reason to be concerned for provision or for fear because in the midst of a broken world, in the midst of are we going to have enough, are we not going to have enough, in the wake of sin, okay, in the, in the, in the wake of shattered relationships, God says, listen, I am going to be enough for you, and I will give you joy in the midst of things that are going on, right? So God promises us light so that we can see and know him. He promises us joy in the midst of everything that happens in our life. He says, I'm going to give you joy, true, deep-seated joy that you only experienced at certain points in your life because they are glad and have joy when the harvest comes in. You can have gladness in your heart and joy when God brings in the harvest for you, okay? Something else about joy. Um, joy is kind of like this, um, uh, mm, yeah, a foreshadowing, uh, a taste of something to come. Um, you ever, uh, you, some baking something in your house and they set it out to cool on the, uh, or there's a cake with icing and you just walk by and I'm not saying I've done this, but you get a little swipe of it, you know, before you should. Did anybody do that? Anybody? Okay, Blaze, thank you for being honest. Everybody else is a dirty, rotten liar. I know you've done it, okay? Um, and, so, and so you get that little taste before you actually divide the cake up and have it later on, right? So this is what joy is. Joy, this kind of joy that God promises you, is a taste of the kingdom of heaven, but right now. Like, you don't have to feel guilty about swiping your finger in God's joy because he wants to give it to you. And he wants you to experience the joy of the kingdom of heaven, this everlasting, deep-seated joy that goes forever and ever and ever and nothing can interrupt it. He wants you to experience that now. Okay? So this is a little foretaste of the kingdom of heaven that you can have right now. So you don't have to wonder what it's going to be like one day. You can know what it's going to be like one day because you can have that joy now. He gives you light and he gives you joy. Now, the next thing that he promises you, oh, why am I always behind the times on that? He promises you joy, right? Okay. Um, verse four. This one's a little, a little tricky. For the yoke of his burden, the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken 
as on the day of Midian. Now, the day of Midian is referencing uh, a historical event in Israel. Let's just say that they had victory over their enemies, okay, before we don't have to go into all the history right there. If you want to, we can talk about that later. They had victory over their enemies, and you guys know what a yoke is, right? When you have a team of oxen and you put this huge, heavy yoke on them, and then you sit behind them and you steer the oxen with the yoke because they are your slaves, your servants. You tell them where they go, and it's a heavy yoke, okay? Um, The staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor. This is talking about people who are um, being enslaved, people who are being told what they can do and when they can do it, people who do not have free will, people who cannot choose for their own. And he said, listen, my people were like that. They didn't have a choice. They were enslaved. But one day they had victory over their enemies, like on the day of Midian. So he's drawing something back to their memory. But God says down through time, I am promising that I will give you freedom. I'm going to break the yoke. I'm going to break the staff of your oppressor. He will no longer oppress you. You will have freedom from Sin and its consequences. That's really good, right? Like if you're going to have a promise from God, light's great, joy's wonderful, right? But freedom from sin, that's a really good promise that God makes. The things that have enslaved you, the things that burden you, the things that you struggle with, the things that you can't seem to pull your feet out of. Have you guys ever got your foot stuck in like a muddy, um, like a, you know, and you got to pull your foot out of it and you feel that suction. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe some of you don't. Um, but, okay, I grew up on a farm and it was usually more than just mud. And, um, and if you got your boot in it, it could really sometimes come up to, you know, your knee and it you could get into your boot. and It was gross. But anyway, um, there was a suction. There was a pull that if you have to pull your foot out, there was something trying to pull you back down into that muck. And God says, listen, sin is like that, and it wants to pull you back down, but I will break the oppressor that oppresses you. I will free you from the sin and the yoke of that, and not just that, I will free you from its consequences. Now, we learned last week that the consequence of sin is death, and the consequence of sin is separation from God forever, which is eternal death. And so if we are being freed from sin and its consequences, that means we are being freed from eternal death and separation from God, which means we can have life and eternal presence with God forever. Now, like, um, like being freed from sin and its consequences, we can also be freed from the desire to sin. Okay? Now, this is, this is a really good promise. It's not just that God frees us from the consequences of the sins that we have already done. It's nice to know we've been forgiven. But God says, I will free you from your oppressor, which means you can then walk without a yoke on your neck. You can then choose not to sin as you walk forward. You can decide where you want to graze. You can decide how you want to act. You have the freedom now to see sin for what it is and to see God for who he is and to choose which way you'd like to go. We have the freedom from sin as its consequences and the freedom to choose holy things over sinful things. This is the freedom that God promises you. He promises you light. He promises you joy. He promises you freedom. There's two more things he promises. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, And every garment that is rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Isn't that a good promise? 
Yes, some of you are like, I don't know. It talks about blood and fire and, you know, that sounds a little creepy, Pastor. Okay, so what this is saying, okay, is God is promising you peace, right? Because let's read this again, knowing that God promises us peace. Every boot of the warriors in battle and all the garments that have been stained with blood in the battle, they're all going to be gathered up and they're all going to be burned. Because why? You're not going to battle again. There will never be a battle that you have to wage again. You will never struggle with these things again because God is giving you peace. God promises that he will fight the battle for you and he is the one that will ultimately declare the victory and you get to enjoy the peace. You get to enjoy the benefits of God fighting on your behalf. This peace um, that God promises is found deep within our heart. Okay, And scripture calls it the peace which surpasses all understanding. There is no like logical explanation for this peace. But if you've experienced this peace, it means that you have been in a place in your life where there logically should be no peace. The trials and the circumstances and the struggles and the sorrows and all of the things that are happening have reached a point in your life where you should just be sitting in a corner, rocking and crying and begging for the end to come. And yet, in the midst of all of that, God enters into the battle, declares victory, and says, while these circumstances may or may not end immediately, I will give you a peace so that you can walk through this with me. He promises that we will experience peace no matter what we see or experience that the world has to offer. And like joy, this is a taste of the kingdom to come. In God's kingdom, which reigns forever and ever and always, there is no war. There is no battle. There is no strife. There is no sorrow. There are no tears. There is just dancing and joy and an abundant peace which we can experience now. Now, all of these things that he's promised us, light, joy, freedom, peace. He's going to do this in a very specific way. He promises a very specific solution to our very big problem, a very huge promise. And he gives us some specifics so that when the promise is fulfilled later on, we can go, oh, oh, that's what God was doing. This is where he's fulfilling it. And here's how it works out. Verse six and seven, for unto us a child is born. We sang this today. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and on the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal, the passion of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this, will uphold this. Now, it tells us that God will establish these promises, that God will make these promises true for light and joy and freedom and peace. He will do this by bringing a king and a kingdom that will last forever and ever, okay? God promises one day to solve the big problem that we have by sending a king Someone who will vanquish all of the enemies and bring about ultimate peace. Someone who will reign forever. His reign will never be challenged. Someone who will have absolute peace. 
who will multiply wisdom, who will increase justice, who will rule with righteousness, and we will never have to worry about being unfairly judged again. This king will reign with no end forever and ever. And this king, we read in the verse, is going to be a child, born, a son given. Now, um, when I go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and I read that one day God would send a descendant of Adam and Eve, a seed, we go, even within the Old Testament, God makes a promise and then builds on that promise. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, talk about the seed that God promised in Genesis chapter 3, 15, where he says, one day I will send someone who will bring peace, who will vanquish the enemy, who will crush the head of the serpent. For unto us a child is born, unto us a seed, a son is given, and he will bring about absolute rule and absolute peace. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and his kingdom will never end. His throne will never decay. He will never be dethroned. He will bring peace and wisdom, and he will establish it in righteousness and the zeal of God, the passion of God, will do this from now until forever. God has made a great promise to us, right? Like we have this big problem in our life, sin, but God says, listen, I'm going to spend the entire Old Testament promising you that I will take care of this, okay? God has, uh, at least on paper for us, 365 promises, but if you want to read them all, you can read the entire Old Testament and find probably more than I have found. Promises of God saying, I will take care of your big problem. I will fix this. I will restore you to me. So you have a big problem, sin, and God makes this huge promise to take care of it. Here's what I want to end with today. Hold on to God's huge promise. Okay? Just hold on to it. Hold on to it tightly and deeply because it is the most precious of promises that God is making to you. That one day, he will take care of the problem that you have. Next week, we're going to deal with the struggle. The struggle of how long does that take? You ever made a promise to someone and then like it seemed like it took forever for them to get around to fulfilling the promise or for you to fulfill the promise to them? Time just seems to lapse before that promise occurs. We're going to handle what do we do when there is silence in the midst of a promise next week. Okay? But for this week, just know, just trust that God himself has promised over 500 times to take care of your big problem. So this week, rest in the promise that he has given you. Light to see your path, to know him, joy in the midst of a crazy world, freedom from sin, peace in the midst of things that shouldn't bring peace. And he is going to do that through an eternal king and an eternal kingdom. And if you have never trusted in that promise before, we want to give you the opportunity to do that today. But first, we're going to worship with some song, and we're going to allow you to think and to reflect and to pray about this promise that God has made, not just in general to the world, but to you specifically 
God has promised to do these things for you. So at any time during our worship, you want to grab these promises and reflect on them, you can. I'm going to close in prayer this morning, and we're going to sing some songs, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about this promise in just a few minutes. Lord, thank you for the fact that you didn't leave us hanging forever and forever and for always with a problem, but that you saw the problem that humanity had right away, and you instantly made a promise to us through Adam and Eve. You instantly promised that one day it would not be like that anymore. That one day sin would not separate us from you. That one day we would not have a heavy yoke to carry. That one day we would not always have sorrow. But one day, one day you promised this huge promise to send us a king who will take care of all of these problems that we have. And yet we live in a world that is still characterized by problems. And our hearts are still troubled with problems. And we still sin against you. And so this morning, Father, we cling to the promise that you have made us. All through the scriptures, left and right, everywhere in scripture, it seems like you are reminding our forgetful and sometimes lack of faith hearts that you are working this out. And we cling to your promise this morning in your word, which we trust. So, Father, as we sing to you this morning, as we sit in silence, perhaps, and pray, as we ask you, is this true for me? Is this promise real? Can I actually grasp and take hold of these things? I pray that you would make it abundantly clear to each and every heart here that you are very real. Shine the light on us this morning. Speak joy into our hearts where otherwise it wouldn't have been, Father. Bring peace and freedom, Father, this morning to our lives. And reveal to us that, yes, we have a problem, but also your promise is much bigger than our problem. We give you our hearts and our lives, and we ask that you would fulfill these promises now and forever. Amen.